and welcome to The Lodgecast, a nature and wildlife podcast brought to you by the Beaver Trust. I'm Sophie Pavel. And I'm Emma Brisdian. Each month, this podcast brings you the latest news from Beaver Trust as we welcome beavers back to our rivers to restore our countryside and create resilient landscapes. And we also explore the state of nature in the UK and speak to fascinating experts and inspiring individuals along the way. In this episode, we're chatting to actor, environmentalist, fellow podcaster and total tree nerd, David Oakes. Sophie, hello, how are you doing? Well, hello, but hang on a hot minute. You're not either. <laughs> no. <laughs> Listeners, we've got a surprise stand-in presenter for this episode, and I'm delighted that it's our wonderful producer, Emma Bristian. Hi. Oh, you're very kind. Yes, very big shoes to fill today indeed. Yeah, you've, I've crawled out from my producer box and actually <laughs> turned on my microphone. Some listeners might even recognise Emma's voice from a couple other podcasts that she presents and produces. Would you like to give a shout out to those? Oh, gosh. Uh, yes. Well, you may know me potentially. That sounds quite big, doesn't it? You may know <laughs> me from. Um, I, I run a podcast might. called For What It's Earth, which has a look at different environmental, uh, climate change, nature, sustainability topics every week and asks, you know, is there anything that we can do just to save the planet a little bit as individuals? So I think uh, listeners of the Beaver Trust might like that one. I think we're all in I the same kind of sphere, aren't we? We are. Planet saving. Nature's really cool. Sometimes. Yeah. um so emma you love yourself a beaver i believe you're correct i do love myself a beaver i actually recently saw a beaver kit scratching its bum that's my news for the episode it was the most relatable i've ever seen a beaver (laughs) kit because normally you see them feeding to be fair which is pretty relatable or just like swimming around but just watching one put its mouth full down Mm. bend over and give its bum a good scratch it felt very uh 2020 stuck on the sofa exactly i was gonna say it's very uh (laughs) hashtag wfh um (laughs) that's working from home for those of you who are not aware uh, that is very relatable. And they've got, it's yeah. it's just the classic thing with their forepaws, isn't it? They're just so hand-like at times. They really are. It's amazing how dexterous they are. You, you can kind of see human elements in them almost when you see them using their little fingers to like really delicately strip away bits of bark mm. or like feed themselves. They're, they're, they're quite enchanting to watch. So yes, you're, you're quite correct. I absolutely love me a beeve. Well, you heard it there, folks. She loves a beeve. <laughs> well, what about you? What have you been up to? Uh, well, lots of things going on in beaver world at the moment. It's sort of quite nice to be chatting like this and to not be in meetings and talking about beaver stuff. But it's all really good, exciting, encouraging things. And I think we'll get into the meat of that a little bit in this episode. But yeah, beaver stuff's good. Autumn's lovely. We've had some great weather, haven't we? The leaves are turning. It's a little bit blustery. Yeah, but I've also got woolly socks permanently affixed to my feet now mm. for the next six months because that temperature has dropped. It has today, for sure. But um, but yeah, all good. The uh, beavers are slowly retreating behind the scenes a little bit more as they do in the winter. So their sightings are a bit more few and far between, but they often are really busy doing engineering and building and maintaining their dams as the weather starts to get a bit more lively, shall we say. That's a good point, actually. I've never mm. asked you this, and this is off script, but what do beavers do in the winter? Because somebody once asked me if they hibernate, and I, I said, no, they don't. But I don't know what they do do. It's a good are question. Are they just hanging out and taking it easy? Um, 
bit of both. I mean, I honestly thought that they hibernated. I think that was just a, a common, you know, it's easy to imagine, isn't it? Because when you see a yeah. cross section of their lodge, you think, oh, that's going to be so cosy in the winter and they'll just have such nice lovely place time. To down. Yeah. Mm. And I think they do do that, but um, they do a lot of feeding. So actually, winter is often a really good time to go out looking for field signs because they do a lot of feeding, a little bit of fastening up, and then they do a lot of maintaining their structures because they're a bit more susceptible to damage from the weather and things like that but because we have less daylight in the winter of course um actually seeing a beaver is a little bit harder and they don't tend to kind of loiter out on the lovely balmy evening sunshine as much so they kind of are a bit more in the shadows but you can definitely see a few gnawed stumps and, and strips of bark and things like that for sure that's the uh, beaver forecast for the winter <laughs> maybe we should do that a, a monthly beaver forecast when best to spot your local beeves yeah. well actually speaking of local beavers mm. they're popping up all over the place aren't we that leads us into our a bit of our news lovely segue yeah love that um, so one of the big news from my neck of the woods is that beavers are now officially on the avon so i live in, well, hey. I live in bath and the avon peters around through bristol and bath and there is a lovely resident population of beavers and i have to admit uh, a sneaky connection to these beavers i've been watching them for a couple of years and i haven't told anyone Mm. because the news hadn't broke and is that selfish i really was worried as soon as people knew about them it would become inundated i think you're quite right i mean the avon is a very busy catchment so it has lots of big cities and towns around it. it's got bath it's got bristol and it's a really interesting almost case study i guess where we're looking at how beavers disperse naturally and they can disperse quite far and wide And it kind of paints a picture as to what we as Beaver Trust hope that beaver reintroduction might look like is that they'll sort of slowly start to disperse. But then because of that, because beavers do bring their problems as well as many, many benefits, um, how do we how do we make our countryside and our cities and our towns ready to be living alongside beavers? I think one of the fun things about the Avon beavers is it's a great example of where they're not creating massive wetlands and dams, which mm. I think everyone associates a lot. Of, so a lot of the criticisms of beavers is, oh God, they're going to flood my you sure. know, my farmland or yeah. something. Legitimate, legitimate concern. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm. But because the Avon, where they've chosen to live as a wild population is so deep, they're not damming. So yeah. you don't see that kind of behaviour. You yeah. can see how they live in a really deep, happy river catchment. But it's not just it's not just Avon, is there? We've got some up not in Not just Derby. Avon. Yes. So uh, this was one of Beaver Trust's first um, releases into an enclosure that we facilitated. And so uh, Derby Wildlife Trust had its first pair of beavers released. Um, ooh, as we record a couple of weeks ago now, and it was really, really exciting. It was, They were released into this beautiful uh, wetlands nature reserve in Derbyshire fantastic and it was just the most wonderful celebration of collaboration in conservation bringing people together doing a reintroduction that's very well informed backed by science they've done you know Dr Rasheen Campbell Palmer who's Beaver Trust Restoration Manager trapped and translocated these beavers from Five Sisters Zoo and worked alongside them in Scotland to do all the health screening the health checks the genetics checks to make sure that these beavers were going to be good for the environment and they weren't going to spread any parasites or diseases to any animals in the enclosure and um yeah we were we were part of a live stream of the release yeah but yeah so beavers are back in derby and there are lots of plans for more beavers to be released in the north of england um in that way so watch this space peeps beavers might be coming to a river near you and if they are 
we've got some handy hints over at Beaver Trust, haven't we? We do. Um, you guys have put together the Beaver Code to make sure that everyone TM. goes to <laughs> to watch <laughs> Beavers because watching Beavers is awesome. It's a great way to spend an evening or you know first morning light. Mm. But there are a couple of things that you can do to make sure that you're doing it in the best way for you and for them. Yes, there are. Uh, so our first point is just to keep quiet, which I find difficult. But you know, when there's a beaver involved, I I'm happy to do that. So beavers can be very tolerant of humans, and they actually don't have amazing hearing. Their sense of smell is actually their more dominant. Uh, sense in that sense if that makes sense <laughs> wow it does. It could does. be a drinking game uh, <laughs> beavers can be very tolerant of humans but a noisy environment and loud beaver watchers and also dogs are a really important thing um, mm-hmm. can cause them stress particularly in those really precious months between may and july when they're rearing kits and things so so yeah please uh, be quiet and then also you can listen out for their chewing and their gnawing on tree tree bark which is um pretty cool oh it's the most amazing sound isn't it it sounds just like someone's chomping on an apple right near you it carries across the water amazingly yeah it really does yeah and speaking of know the signs is the next Mm. one so you can have a look out if you're trying to work out where they are or if you think you might be near a beaver um have a look out for things like chewed stumps and those bark stripped willow branches and all the the, kind of the wooden chips that you Mm. get uh, that they flake off when they're trying to fell a tree yeah they make great bookmarks which are amazing yeah oh bookmarks that's a good idea they do make really good bookmarks i've got a couple number three tape binoculars if you've got some because these help you get a really really good view of the beavers without physically actually disturbing them so um yeah binoculars are a great way and you can actually then have a good chance of seeing their bright orange teeth which Mm. always a bonus and the last one, of course, is to stick to the path, you know, wherever you're going, even if it's really tempting and you think you'll probably get a better view if you just creep off the path and, mm, and sneak a bit closer mm, to them. Don't do that. Generally don't. Don't yeah. venture into the scrub. Leave them alone at the margins. You know, that's their feeding and their resting habitat. So mm. um, just be sensible and, and try not to disturb them or cause any damage. Just, you know, yeah. if it, it easy, helps, no matter how excited you are. Yeah. And if it helps to try and um, understand from the beaver's point of view, imagine that you're sort of, you know tucking into your dinner after a swim and you're probably fairly naked if you've been for a swim and beavers obviously don't wear clothes and so you're quite vulnerable and you're kind of with your fam and you're at your house and then if you've just got this this you know eager person sort of climbing clambering down a bank hoping to take a look Mm. and pointing a big old lens at you I mean I wouldn't be too delighted with that no I might move house yeah if I'm honest if that was a regular yeah occurrence. and that would be a bit of an effort and be quite disruptive so um stick to the part I mean it's good advice for all wildlife watching really isn't it I think it is I think it is go go forth and use the beaver code we should rebrand <laughs> it the just the general wildlife code or just um, general code just be good general- <laughs> yeah. common sense um right what's really exciting is that since August there has been a historic or an historic, depending on um, whether my mum's listening to this, what's correct, <laughs> a historic chance for you, the public, to have your say as to how you'd like to see beaver reintroduction around Britain pan out. What are you concerned about? What do you, what do you agree with? What do you not agree with? All of these things. Basically, DEFRA wants to hear from you as to how you want to see beavers come back to our rivers. So they open this public consultation in August on uh, beavers in England and their management and the opportunity to share your voice closes on the 17th of November so just in a couple of weeks. Emma how can people find out how to take part in this amazing chance? 
Well, you can either head to beavertrust.org because you guys have got it splashed across the homepage. Really easy way to find the link. Or we will, (laughs) we're going to pop the link to the consultation in the episode description. So if you're on your phone, just have a little scroll, tip tap on over and uh, go and have a chat with Defra, basically. Mm -hmm. It's a really good fix, I think, for if you're feeling, you know, the classic kind of, I want to help do something for nature and for conservation and the planet, but I don't really know how my voice is going to be of value Mm -hmm. and I don't really know how to make a difference. This is your time. If you've listened to any of the episodes of the Lodgecast, if you've seen anything to do with beavers and you're you're like, you know, that animal is amazing or I'm really interested, I want to learn more and I can see the benefits it brings, etc, etc. I'd like to see more beavers back in our rivers. In this time of climate emergency, this is your chance to have a say and really be part of history. So I can't stress that Mm. enough. Be part of this consultation. This is definitely one of the best ways that as an individual, you mm. can do something with potentially very positive change and yeah. actually influence yeah. policy. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, and you know, to actually make change, you've got to influence policy. Speaking of policy. <laughs> Love it. We've got another big uh, landmark. Um, is that the right term? Big policy thing. It is a land. Soon. I think We're that's perfect. of COP26. Yep. Conference of the parties, the 26th time that this has Mm. happened. And it just so happens... we still haven't fixed climate change. We still haven't, still a work in progress. And this is the first time that Britain has hosted it. So it's coming to Glasgow. It was meant to happen last Mm. year, but obviously COVID. Um, And so (laughs) it's coming, not to belittle COVID at all. Um, But it's coming to Glasgow and it's happening. It's kicking off on the 31st of October. And from Beaver Trust, we are putting out a little bit of content which we hope you'll find really interesting so we're releasing a series of interesting I feel interviews with four key figures across the sector and they talk about the four sustainability goals so we um, we have four video chats for you to engage with we will be sharing them across our social media at Beaver Trust and they will be hopefully just giving you a bit of food for thought a bit of, a bit of a tasty snack for your brain to try they're fascinating. And, uh, I would say they're a whole meal because they're pretty meaty. Yeah. They are great conversations. Good. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. So um, so look out for those. It's going to be called In Conversation With. We're going to be releasing them across our YouTube channel. And uh, we'll be. Uh, there's a couple of blogs coming out on our site as well. Let's share some facts. Emma, you know how this works. And um, you may recall that I won the last fact off. So I'm afraid that you've stepped straight into the hot seat and I hope that you've bought Killer Fact to try and knock me off. Well, okay, it's quite intimidating to try and play the fact off with you because I've sat in the background watching you and Eva play fact off for nearly two whole seasons now. And I can't believe Mm. that there are still... Uh, really weird and wacky <laughs> facts around fact. beavers. There are so many. I know. I think we can roll this into like four seasons. There are so many. Um, but it, it does make it hard when when choosing one. And my fact today is, I mean, it's not the most monstrous fact, but I really like the mental image that it conjures up. Mm. So we know that beaver kits can swim after 24 hours, but actually the maximum swimming speed of a beaver, an mm. adult beaver, can be up to five miles an hour, which is about as fast as Michael Phelps. And essentially, what hmm. I would really like to see is some kind of Phelps beaver competition. I'd like to find yes. the fastest beaver in the UK, time them, and then get Phelps up against it. Yeah, let's do it. Let, let's scrap the COP26 comms and let's just go full on 
This is the important stuff that people need to see. Full This is what the people want. <laughs> Phelps versus beaver. I like that fact. I like it a lot. So that's that's my simple fact. What's yours? So beavers have a fully hashtag vegan diet of plants, leaves, hardwood, purely plant-based. And this is quite rogue, but it's rumoured. So all, the, all these plants are rumoured to make a beaver's gut flora <laughs> and freshly... Uh, I hate this word, milked castorium. So we know beavers secrete castorium and to extract it, it's called milking. (laughs) Which gives off the wrong impression because it doesn't come from the beaver breast at all. (laughs) Uh, It comes from somewhere else. Somewhere else. Yep. Um, So so this vegan diet is basically rumoured to make its gut flora and its castorium smell like the inside of a bakery. Wow. <laughs> so imagine your your local uh, boulangerie or what have you. And, <laughs> Next time uh, I pop in. <laughs> beaver. Is that a beaver? <laughs> but hang on, this is fact off. This is not rumour off. Oh, sorry. Yes, it's an absolute fact. Have you been... Oh, okay. All right, fine. <laughs> I guess science. <laughs> That's cooler. That's cooler than my fact. I think you might. We, well, yeah, we'll we, put it we to David no later. But... We'll put it to David, yeah. Well, talking talking of David... We've got him on to talk about trees, David Oaks. Love it. Um, let's have a little chat about some of the new exciting beaver tree riverscape news, which has also happened in the last couple of months. Indeed. Um, so Beaver Trust has announced it's, uh, it, we're part of a partnership called Riverscapes. And the first phase of this partnership, which is essentially all about restoring rivers and creating more space for rivers and to allow nature to restore. The first phase is called Woodlands for Water, and it's essentially all about trees. Now, Emma, I'm going to um, ask you to close your eyes and I'm going to paint you a picture. Oh, lovely. So, okay, I'm ready. You are by a river. The water is clear. You can see all the plants under the water, you can see gravel that's perfect for migratory fish to spawn. There's a little beaver just gnawing away at a lovely bit of willow just on the left. Oh, I'm so relaxed right now. You can hear the faint trickle, 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 trickle of, the, <laughs> of the water. But look, the riverbank is there. You can see distant farmland, but there's a little bit of a scrubby, you might say mess. Others might say gloriousness between the farmland and the riverbank. It's about 10 metres wide. There's mm-hmm. lots of different plants in there. You can almost see the succession of vegetation. Oh, okay, nice. It acts as, uh, for want of a better word, a buffer. And um, this buffer is a really key part of this Woodlands for Water programme. Essentially, as I said earlier, making more space for rivers. And interestingly, in Bavaria, who famously are decades ahead of Britain in its journey with beavers have found that this area or this zone between riverbank and farmland or riverbank and footpath, whatever, can absorb up to 90% of the problems caused by beavers just because there's that little bit of space there. And that's what we're really excited about. Oh, damn. Now, that is a fact that you cannot turn your nose up at. No. So that's essentially what this Woodlands for Water thing is all about. And it's creating these riverscapes, as the title is um, aptly named, to try and help our rivers bounce back from the trouble that they're in 
It's super exciting. I mean, um, only only two years ago, the Environment Agency announced that only 14% of our rivers in the UK met mm. good ecological status under the Water Framework Directive. Oh. Um, and that hasn't changed for like 10 years. So no. not only are our rivers really in shockingly bad condition in the mm. UK, they are not improving. So this is such an exciting announcement yeah. that could be a really good driver of improving our water quality and our river status. So I think in September this year, the government announced £40 million to be spent over four years, yeah. which would help plant and maintain these trees. And this would cover um, over 3,000 hectares of riverbank uh, in place. I think it was in six different areas, wasn't it? So including like Devon and Cumbria and Somerset, and hopefully be an amazing vehicle for bringing those benefits back into our wild water spaces. Yeah, perfect. You've summarised it perfectly. So... It's not just trees, but obviously trees are key to this plan working. And on that note, we are very excited to be talking to David Oakes, who not only is an actor, he is also a passionate naturalist, a tree nerd, as Emma said earlier. He's an ambassador for the Wildlife Trust. He's a podcast host of popular podcast Trees, a crowd. You may have seen him on all sorts of things from Netflix to BBC to ITV. He is a bit of a legend and we're very lucky to speak to him. So, fresh off the set of an upcoming TV series, and potentially in costume, I still haven't clarified whether you are or not in costume, David Oakes, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Welcome to The Lodgecast. Great to have you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to be here, um, dressed as a a, a Viking-era beaver, to make it topically accurate. How how would one define a Viking-era beaver? Would it look any different, do you think? Well, that's a very interesting question. Have you plaited the beard? I I don't think the I think the absence of opposable thumb on the beavers suggests that they probably can't plait as well as a human. Mm. So they probably don't sit and plait each um, other's fur, you know, of an evening. Oh, but that would be wonderful, wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, it what, is that interesting thing. Is. Like the one thing that I've been sorry. Hey, we're going we're getting, we're off to the races. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the things that I've always found fascinating is looking at pictures of Victorian dog breeds and seeing how in the last 150, 160, 70 years they've all changed shape. So like a Cavalier King Charles mm. Spaniel sort of got an even stumpier snout mm. and uh, even more beaver tail-like ears. And and if things can change that quickly, then yes, perhaps perhaps a Viking beaver has evolved to be slightly different than it is to now to what, what a, it was what then. What a beautiful uh, thought. I love that. There you go. Um, before we, get, before we go fully off to the races, um, we need to decide <laughs> which fact you think is best. So... What do you think? Are you thinking beaver swimming, Michael Phelps, beaver versus Phelps sort of vibe or um, a beaver bakery? So here's the thing. I I think any kind of poo that smells of something that it shouldn't is a wonderful thing. However, (laughs) quite a lot of digestive tracts of animals smell a bit like a bakery and and what's what's your what's your reasoning behind that please uh, please unpack that I, I smell a lot of poo in my life right. that's one of my yeah. things and, and, yeah and, and why is that part of being as you know as as <laughs> you get, it's, is it's that how, part of your audition you your animal studies at drama school yeah yeah you decide what you're going to be and then you go to the zoo and you ask yeah, for some dung and research, you give it a big yeah. old hoof into your face and then you go yeah I I am one with the giraffe yeah mm-hmm. um so yes, I, th- I think that's fascinating that we... Who, who was the lady that used to go around looking through people's poo on television? Gillian Thingy. Not Gillian Anderson. Oh, I don't think I've seen this no. show. <laughs> it, wasn't, it was a weird episode of The X-Files. <laughs> 
Um, there was a woman who did it, but like we are, like we are what we poo. So I think that's interesting, but it's also not surprising. Therefore, I think that's the that name of the episode, by the way. There are so are many wonderful pull quotes already, and we're just minutes into this chat. <laughs> we are what we poo. I think. I that's mean, that's destined to be a T-shirt of sorts. Bucks. Agreed. Yeah. Oaks um, 2021. So yeah, so I think I think my favourite fact is the fact that a beaver can swim as fast as Michael Phelps because Michael yes. Phelps can swim really, very, very, very fast. Yeah, um, he's got really good shoulders. I do, yeah. however, yeah, I want, I do want to see a race between Michael Phelps and mm. a beaver. Well, exactly. Yeah. Listen, we'll get you Let's front row seats when we make that yeah. happen. Inevitably. It'll be like one of those comeback boxing matches. <laughs> it's like Rocky's come back out of retirement. He's come out of retirement. He's not at his peak. He's <laughs> done, gone through a full beaver. montage thing. And we've chosen this upstart young beaver who thinks he can compete against the best human. Just flexing on the line, doing his, uh, doing his stretches, <laughs> getting those powerful legs ready. Well, okay, Emma, you can take one for the team Victory. as you are. Uh, this is your first time as the co-host. Oh, thrilled. So I'm happy Thanks, for David. you. You can come happy back. for you, in a way. In my own way. <laughs> You're so bitter. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry your poo isn't exciting <laughs> enough, Sophie. Well, uh, oh. on that note, David, you uh, grace our screens and tread the theatre boards, so to speak, as a thespian and an actor. What might our listeners have seen you in or heard you in? Um, well, that's a very good question. It's an interesting thing to look at where the demographic of your <laughs> podcast overlaps with my penchant for playing period baddies oh, absolute worldwide um, worldwide well yes so um i don't know most recently there was lots of victorian shenanigans on itv where i played a a, a german man uh with a with a mum's with a, personal with favorite an std there's an there's a show mm. where i played a renaissance man <laughs> with with an std um and um bit of a theme there yeah really. yeah i guess casting directors see something in me it's probably the pox ridden nose um <laughs> And um, and um, what have you been? Uh, what have you been working on? The, well, I guess this Viking thing. Yes, this Viking <laughs> thing. That is the official title. Yeah. Um, yeah. For the last two years, I've been out in County Wicklow shooting Netflix's new Vikings Valhalla. Oh, um, oh hello. So I'm, I'm hairier than a beaver with with long long beard and hair, etc., and a plaited back. When mane. when can we expect to um, to to see you? On That's Netflix? a very good question. I think the official answer is 2022. Oh, not long. I'm sort of under an embargo. I can't really tell you very much about it because Netflix has these snipers positioned everywhere just to just to stop us sort of spoiling things. Yes, I can just I just I saw a little uh, red laser there in the corner of your room. Already. I can't believe that yeah. we're not the journalistic outlet that you're using to break the story through though and give us an official date. I was I was mm. really looking forward to an exclusive if I was allowed to, Emma, bit, um, I would most peeved. certainly use the Lodgecast as the way to talk about Vikings. So I'm going to bring us back to everyone's favourite, Rivery Rodent. Beavers, David, have you ever seen one? What Have you got any beaver stories for us? I went down to the River Otter with Harry Barton, who's the CEO of the Devon Wildlife Trust, to see... Thanks for Barton. stopping by. We, we weren't friends back then, Sophie, I'm afraid. It was it was pre our spectacular <laughs> days. I was just starting up mine. The Lodgecast was just a like a glimmer of possibility in the back of your your beaver centric <laughs> noggin. Um, but yeah, we went out to find one. We we found evidence of beaver managed waterways, and we saw a nice dam 
Um, but I'm sorry to say that I didn't see a beaver on that occasion. And I was thinking about this this morning because I presume that this would be one of the questions. I don't think I've seen a beaver in the wild and I'm very excited about the prospect of eventually seeing one. So I'll be down that way soon with some good binoculars. If you find yourself in or around the Avon Bristol Bath area, I can take you to come and see some as well. I'm just going to lay Great. that invitation down if you want to see some beeves. There, there's there's invitations to see beaver coming from every corner of this podcast. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll rescind it if you've got enough. No, no, I, no, you no. Know, no. You don't need... One beaver is never enough. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that. I have is heard that, that how the Vikings lived? <laughs> hey, yes. no, no maligning of those Vikings. They were farmers and sailors and settlers. They're none of this sort of barbaric nonsense about like like rude and and hitting things with axe and things. And no, they were lovely, mm. charming individuals. Charming. Absolutely. No, yeah. I mean, David, you're um, obviously also an environmentalist and an activist and an ambassador for the Wildlife Trust and the Woodland Trust. So I feel like I have to go in with a fairly obvious question. Where did your fascination for the natural world, in particular trees, come in? And is it just a coincidence that your surname is Oaks? Well, my first name's actually Rowan as well. Is so it? I'm, I'm a double tree. Hello. There's double tree. It's an interesting one. I get I do get asked that one, understandably, quite a lot. I guess I guess there is a power of nominative determinism. I think if you grow up with those as your names, then you will be shunted slowly in the direction of woodlands. Um, but also I think mm. if your parents are going to name you after trees, then chances are your upbringing is going to be quite a woody one anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I think we grew up in the countryside we grew up in between um the new forest and the purbeck coast so we had one of the greatest uh coastlines with its jurassic heritage going on beneath us and we had one of the most amazing uh forests going i guess in terms of it being a, a relatively recent managed one despite the name um and so we always sort of had wildlife i remember having birthday parties jumping into bracken pretending to be superman in the new forest and i and Lovely. we had lots of holidays up to the uh, to the Lake District and the like. So it was just always it was always there. It's always what we did. Um, so there's no no not particularly one event. I can vividly remember the smell of Marwell Zoo, for example, from a very early age. The pygmy hippo enclosure is something that I think affected my sensorial mm. self. Was quite it a lot. was it there was it their poo by chance? It, of course, it was their poo. Sophie. Like that's it. It just <laughs> it all comes you're back defined to poo. by the scat that you get in your early days. Not a bakery, then. No, sorry. Not, not quite. Still bitter, huh? <laughs> not quite the brioche. <laughs> um, so, so do you have a favourite tree? Is there one that you just would go back to again and again and tell everyone about it if you could? Do you mean a favourite species or an individual? Oh, both, if Ooh, you've got answers. Let's say both. Yeah, let's go both. Um, I think because of my name, I can't not say oak as my favourite species, although just across the river where I am now in County Wicklow, there's a wonderful tree called a, uh, a nicer, which has the most amazing foliage. I think it's a North American tree and the foliage starts like a very bright sort of lime green, but at the moment it's sort of turned two-tone. So you've got these bright yellow leaves and these sort of deep scarlet leaves. And it looks like a traffic light tree. It's quite amazing. Wow. And that's, that's my hmm. particular favourite today, having been outside to see it. But there are very definitely individual trees that I make a point of going to hug. Like there's where I am now. There's a there's what a lovely image. There's a cork oak down by the river. Um, do you know what a cork oak is? I don't think I do. Well, well, well you're about. Sounds to. like a. I thought you said a corker. A corker. A it's a corker. Yeah, a, real, a real corker. 
No, a cork, cork oak is a species of tree that is native, I guess, to to Spain and to Portugal, and the bark of it can be stripped off every seven, eight, or nine years and doesn't hurt, hurt the tree at all. And you can use the bark as corks or the inside of cricket hmm. balls or to line uh, the floor of a kitchen in the 1980s. Um, <laughs> but it's literally literally cork. That is where cork comes from. Cool. It is from an oak tree. Huh. It is quite amazing. And they, they're soft and a bit spongy. And, they're really, that's, and so that particular tree is one that I go and see every morning and say oh. hello. I think it's really nice to have a, a tree that you could say, today that is my favourite tree. Mm. And then tomorrow it could be a different tree. Trees change. I mean, that's the thing. Like to say that's my favourite species or that's my individual, like every tree continues growing through its lifetime. They might get hit by lightning and lose a bit. They might get nibbled by a beaver and get some interesting scars at the base of them. But they're also over the course of one year, their foliage will completely change, whether they lose it or keep it, whether it grows or shrinks, whether it's eaten by caterpillars or the like, like everything changes. So to say that there is one constant favourite would be you'd be deliberately closing your eyes to a lot of the wonder of our woodlands. You really would be. Um, and so that, that's, I think that's one of the things that hit me with the COVID lockdown was because we were restricted with where we could go. Um, we trod the same path almost every single mm. day. Um, and as a result of that, you saw the changing of the seasons on a very small area on a day to day, almost hour to hour basis. And I think, I think a lot of people found that experience quite moving and got them much more rooted into understanding and appreciating the the local environment that they have on their doorstep. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know I personally did, um, found, found a new route um, and then just stuck to it for a really long time. And it is amazing. I think we've lost a lot of the time that connection with the seasons, um, mm -hmm. not, not just nature, but actually understanding how, how things move through time. And to be able to, I mean, mm. I, I know we're in our second year of kind of, uh, we're not so restricted now, but we're in our second year of. Hey, don't don't speak too soon. We're looking at numbers going back up again. Start planning that route again. Yeah. Um, but I think because we're now we're a year after people have started connecting with the seasons, people are watching it for a second time around. Mm -hmm. and, and like you said, seeing the differences between the spring and the summer and watching trees and, and all nature and watching those life cycles and I just think that's yeah. a wonderful thing mm. this autumn is particularly late as well it seems it's it we've yet to go, get any real it's frost warm. here yeah it's mm. warm there's no frost so the leaves haven't quite fallen everything's shifting and everything has a sort of weird knock-on effect and if you're mm. aware of it and notice it you'll see fungi coming out at different times because of the different moisture levels and the different temperatures you'll see um, different animals out like I saw an otter two days ago out on mm. the river which is, oh. it's, I guess, relatively late. I mean, they'll be about sort of feeding up ready for the winter, but they'll get a, a lot longer chance to go out and feed and to, to eat mm. some of those lovely trout that are in the vartry over there. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked a little bit about, um, you know, I mean, we, we all lament, we love trees for their amazing kind of role in ecosystems. But one of the things you're interested in as well is also how trees have been like part of our culture through history. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, is there any kind of, time or example of something where a tree has just been really cool that you've delved into when you've been looking back through the history books and you're like yes this is it trees are amazing ah too many to mention i'm gonna have to start i'm gonna have to think about that one i think one of the things about trees is that they've helped society in almost every single way that you can imagine the podcast that i've been doing lately has been literally looking at every single one of the native species of the of the british isles and you sort of come to realise that 
every single tree has sort of formed a niche of its own within human civilization. So, for example, you've got the charcoal of of buckthorn is quite astounding because it's essential for making gunpowder. So, hmm. uh, buckthorn basically fueled our munitions industry. It fueled our mining industries, and it's brilliant at it because it burns at a quite a steady rate. And so you can use it as fuses and the like. So it's just this really good dense charcoal, um, and yet the charcoal of other different species can be used for different things because of other different things that the tree does. So there's the charcoal of the hornbeam, which can be used to smelt iron because it doesn't burn relatively regularly, but it burns incredibly hot. Um, and so you wouldn't really have the Iron Age if it wasn't for uh, for hornbeam and its charcoal, and you certainly wouldn't have had a lot of the industrial revolution wow um mm. and so all of these different things are different things so like people have hornbeams in their gardens for example and they don't think that well, maybe hey. there you go there's there's, <laughs> there's there's one owning up right there um it's there are so many things that trees can do whether it's the lime tree and the bast fibers that have tied uh they've tied viking longships together they've been used to make uh shoes for for russian peasants you've got the the birch tree, whose bark has been used for centuries as a, a writing implement, and you can draw on it and it, it maintains it. So there are drawings from the 11th century of children doodling on, on, on birch bark. But also there are examples of people within uh, the Russian gulags writing love letters on birch bark because they didn't have access to paper and they needed to express their ardor. Um, and then there's the obvious things like people making boats out of it or making religious carvings out of it. But the tree that they would use would be for the qualities of the tree. So we'd use oak because it's strong and it's sturdy and it's waterproof. And so we make boats out of it. Whereas the fine grain of the lime tree, for example, is great for religious carving um, because it's associated with with the Virgin Mary and it has a double tone. Not only is it a beautiful looking wood, but it's also got religious connotations. And so there's there's a whole load of stuff with every single species um, too hmm. much to go into, and so, yeah, go on. I was going to say it's fair to say then that we would just not even be here talking about trees if it weren't for trees. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. That's one of the things that I looked at most recently. In I think it was the field maple episode, looking at looking at photosynthesis properly for the first time. Because I mean, most people hopefully will have got to the grips with it in GCSE biology, but the things that are associated with that have reverberations throughout the year so one of the interesting things of the current season is photosynthesis is it occurs because of chlorophyll chlorophyll is a green pigment that uniquely turns the sun's energy uh, into making oxygen and sugar it's wonderful if you don't know about it you should go back to school it's literally the most incredible <laughs> thing that goes on in the natural world but obviously when the days get shorter too cold there's not enough sunshine our deciduous trees lose their leaves um, but what happens then is in those final few days when the chlorophyll, last of the chlorophyll is being used up, it, di it, it breaks down and disappears because chlorophyll has to be replaced constantly during the, the spring and summer months mm. to keep that green uh, oxygen making chemical there. So once it breaks down, you start to see the other pigments that were there all the rest of the year, they were just hidden behind the green. So the reds that you see of um, dogwood or the yellows you see of the field maple, uh, protective pigments that uh, support the tree against extreme temperatures or UV radiation. And they're always there, but you just don't see them because the tree is too busy providing oxygen and creating sugar for itself. And and that's amazing. There's there's a hidden life of trees going on that we don't see. Um, 
which is all linked into the science that we think we know. But the science just keeps on going. And there's so much that we don't still know about trees and about their mycorrhizal relationships, etc., etc. Et mm. And obviously, beavers and trees have gone hand in hand since beavers first came into being on this planet. But have you come across beavers in kind of folklore or all your research into trees in a in a way that has surprised you or kind of how have you encountered beavers and say literature to do with with trees it's uh, the only real interesting reference that i hit to on the podcast with beavers is about the relationship with uh, the aspen and it being one of Mm. the preferred foodstuffs of the beaver and how the aspen has evolved to release its seed stock in correlation with beaver nibblage because the trees supposedly sensing that um, there might be more space on the ground if the beavers have been busy chewing on things because some of its neighbours will have fallen down and so it produces seed to do it. So I I think that's fascinating to watch animals and plants grow in symbiosis with each other Mm. or seeming coexistence at least. Um, Folklorically speaking, most of the beaver stuff comes from North America, really. And as a British Isles podcast, I haven't been delving too deep into that except when I really wanted to. But the truth is in, in Europe, we were just so efficient at wiping them off the face of the of the continent that the folklore never really got a chance to establish hmm. itself they were really seen as a product and a, a commodity whether it be for their furs or their or their glands or, or whatever it was we were after that week um so and i think quite often we don't like to associate folklore and stories and meaning to things that we just want to kill and use mm, do you um, think it makes it easier yeah kind of detach from that completely and in the same way that you can often find that boring trees that are just for timber not that there is a boring tree um doesn't have much folklore (laughs) attached to it either because it's just there as a function it's not there as something that has a a cultural sociological reference well i mean you've sold us not that we needed much selling on just how amazing trees are um but if we were to say marry your two passions trees in the natural world and communicating with people through like theatre and TV. Um, how do you think we could create something or what do you think it would look like if you were to use a piece of theatre or use a piece of TV to help people more widely connect with nature, connect with trees, but you know, beyond the really obvious natural history documentaries, which are all amazing, but I feel like you either like them or you don't. So to connect with other people, maybe we need something a bit a bit more different. What would you do given that power, do you think? Maybe start an irreverent podcast series about the 56-ish native tree species of the British Isles. <laughs> no, it's, it's an interesting question. Go and listen question. to Trees A Crowd. <laughs> um, it is, I mean, that is literally what I've wanted to do. And I think, I think anyone who is interested in the natural world, anyone who produces a natural history podcast, for example, is finding ways to get their message, which they care about passionately, out to a much wider audience and and you're right david attenborough and his team and it it is important to realize that there are a group of people who are making those Mm. documentaries across the world are doing incredible things to to glorify the natural world to get us to appreciate the natural world and to make us aware of how we're damaging it now which is finally something that those documentaries are hitting heavenly heavily you only got to go back about i know a decade ago and watch documentaries and it's just very happy rhinos running across savannas and there's no mention of of poachers (laughs) there's two left um but yeah it's an interesting one the i i actively try not to talk about climate change on my podcast because i fear that 
it will turn people off and it will stop them listening. That is not to say that I don't try and get messages in the back door to make them realize that these are things that they may be losing as a result of their actions. Mm. But the bottom line is right now, and this is something that our government over the last couple of days has been refusing to say that our nation's people need to do. And what we have to do is take individual responsibility for the climate emergency that we're in and to change our behavior. And that's rubbish because... I mean, it's it's all well and good saying you can get a grant to get yourself an air source heat pump or buy an electric <laughs> car, but most people don't have the money to do that or the space to do that, to mm. charge it or to install mm. it. Um, so it doesn't matter how big the grant is. We need to get to a place where every single human being goes, do I need to eat that bit of steak? Do I need to travel alone on this particular road journey? Do I need to have the heating on today? Should I close that window first? And it is if everyone takes individual responsibility, then corporations or governments will follow so it's 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 reckless and potentially disastrous for the government to say ah you can still fly everywhere you can still have the heating on you can still do all of these wonderful things that made your life worth living and the world will be fine because in, by 2030 we're going to have a world of of renewable energy and you'll be able to fly on carbon neutral flights by 2050 i find that literally unbelievable and irresponsible of our current government because it has to be a choice upon the individual to want to make this world better. And how to get that message out there, which is a message that people do not want to hear, mm. is hard enough. But to get them to also act upon it, mm. that's almost impossible. And I, I don't know how you do that. But that's why I'm an actor. I just stand in places wearing funny clothes. <laughs> and tell me to say. I think I think that's a brilliant. But I completely agree with you. I think there is a really exciting role for individuals to start driving change bottom down, particularly if enough of us are clamouring for change and using, you know, our consumer purchasing power to shift towards a greener future. Um, but I do think that also it can be limited by the amount that we feel we can actually do. And if, like you said, if, if governments and if things aren't being made top down as well, if the society that we live in is not set up to allow us to easily make green decisions, if it comes beyond the cost of where people are comfortably spending extra or going out of their comfort zone, um, I think it can be really hard to get enough of us in that bracket to start driving bottom up change. Mm. Exactly. That's what that's what worries mm. me. Exactly. I think. And the truth is, I think you need both. I think you need top down yeah, governmental do. control and you need bottom up people-led revolution in a way that isn't mm. just sitting on a motorway, even though I think what Insulate Britain is doing is quite wonderful. Um, talking of taking action and fighting for what's best for the planet, you've spoken about HS2, High Speed Rail 2, and co-signed a letter to Boris Johnson, published mm -hmm. in The Times, asking the government to rethink this project. Um, from a, a tree's perspective, maybe you could just outline to our listeners... Um, why you signed that letter? From a tree's perspective, I, I think I probably hit on it. These are things that have existed long before modern civilization has. Some of the trees are parts of ancient habitats and ancient woodlands that not only support the trees, but a huge wealth of biodiversity within it, whether it be insect life or or, or beaver life. Um, if we lose these trees, if we lose these ancient habitats, then we lose everything that's associated with it. And you cannot replace that. Like it, mm. it is like it is like destroying the Mona Lisa just because you want to look at the painting behind it quicker. Hmm. It's 
yeah, you'll get to look at the painting behind it. You'll get to go to Bradford 12 minutes faster. But nobody <laughs> wanted to go to Bradford 12 minutes faster. No, that's not true. I love Bradford. Uh, I learned twice. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's as simple as that. We can't replace these things that we will mm. demolish. We've already got so little ancient woodland coverage. We've got less ancient woodland in the UK than in the rest of Europe. Like Europe's doing better than us. Not not terribly well, but doing better than us. And what we're doing whilst we're talking about a green revolution and a, a brighter, mm. better future, we're also literally at this moment in time right now bulldozing trees that have mm. lichen and fungi and invertebrates living on them that don't live anywhere else in the british isles mm. we're losing them right now and if there's one thing that we've become aware of over the last 50 60 years is that it's the complicated biodiversical food webs and chains that affect everything everyone knows if we lose bees we're screwed but mm. it's not as simple as that the bees have patterns of migration and we need to support um, different kinds of bees and different kinds of insects and different kinds of uh, food stuff, plants and mm. everything knocks on. Um, on. On a bit of a caveat, one of the things that I find genuinely really quite brilliant lately is that you have all of these sort of blanket messages and I, I'm, I've gone on a complete tangent here about bees, we've got to say bees. And yeah, of course we've got to say bees. So everybody's <laughs> going out and getting a hive and making honey and having a wonderful, wonderful time because they're going, great, I've got free honey and and I'm saving the bees and making the biodiversity world Wrong bees better. to save. Yeah, mm. but that's the point. Like you end up with a load of honeybees that are going to eat all the food stuff of the, the more important particular pollinating bees for a certain mm. area. So you need to make sure doing the right thing, doing the good thing takes a bit of thought and a bit of time. You can't mm. just instantaneously click your finger having read an article and believe that what you're doing is for the betterment. If someone says mm. that they're going to offset your carbon for you and so you can go on your trip to, uh, I don't know, Baja, California, then you have to look up that company to work out what they mean by offsetting. Are they mm. just displacing mm. the responsibility for who should do it and ultimately who is therefore at the end of that chain and who is not burning said carbon? Or like it's... It is not simple. It is really mm. complicated. But if you don't put the time in and the and the thought in, then you're then you are part of the problem. Mm. If you had just to, um, as we start to wrap up, if you had one piece of advice that you'd give someone, based on everything we've spoken about, what would it be? Uh, challenge a beaver to a swimming competition. <laughs> Are you listening, Phelps? I'm sure you are. He loves We're the podcast. I heard he was he was tweeting about it the other day. <laughs> Michael, you shouldn't have. Um, okay, well, David, it's been such a pleasure to chat to you, and I am now going to go and hug a tree. There's a lovely beech tree just outside the window that is wafting in the in the autumnal breeze, and I might go give it a hug. Wonderful. I feel like I haven't gone on enough merry tangents for you yet. I feel like I haven't ranted enough, but I... I, I is, are there any more rants that you'd like to do? You're welcome. Have have the have the floor. The floor is yours, the woodland floor. Rant away. Okay, well, I'll give you something to think about when you go and see your beech tree. Okay. Um, the, 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 the French used to call beech leaves lit de parlement, which means oh. talking bed. 
basically because、oh. they used to make their mattresses out of beech tree leaves,、oh. and they said they、oh. were talking because when you would sort of rustle, they would sort of make a little noise. But they were supposed to be very comfortable, more comfortable than straw, not itchy or whatever. And they also release a beautiful, fresh, crisp, tasty aroma as you would lie on them. And so,、oh. yeah, when you go and hug said wafting beech tree, think about the possibility of spending a night lying upon its foliage because that would be a lovely. <laughs> Take a little nap underneath, do some forest bathing, lie Absolutely. down. Absolutely. What's it called? Say again the 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 French thing. Lit de Parlement. Lit de Parlement.、Oh, lovely. On that very beautiful note, thank you so much for joining us. It's been wonderful. Thank you. My absolute pleasure. I've had a wonderful time. Thank you for having me. Well, trees. My gosh, I'm going to go and hug one. I feel nourished. Yeah. What an amazing conversation. Yeah. No, totally. I I think we just we massively take trees for granted, and I think David is a is a great ambassador to help us realise that. Absolutely, absolutely. They're just—I mean—they're they're fascinating, and the fact that they have so much by way of like their history and their culture, and so many different even uses for us,、yeah. even though we shouldn't really value them as commodity. I mean, it's just—they're amazing. I'm head over heels for a beach. Yeah, 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 totally. And、um, yeah, make sure that you go and listen to Trees a Crowd by David Oakes. It is a brilliant podcast and very nourishing. Air food can recommend. <laughs> air food. Air food. Now, Emma, I must congratulate you for winning the fact off. In a surprise move,、Happy、I've swept、you. in and I've won it. Thanks so much. You're, it's you're Phelps. I think it's Phelps、yeah. and his and monstrously、shoulders. big feet that have won、ah, and feet. Sh- and、yeah. strong legs. All, <laughs> all Phelps really. He's a bit of a winner. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks very much. But it's um, it is time for our other favourite segment,、oh. and I'm I'm going to quiz you this time. Oh. I hope you're ready for it. But, but it actually does tie in to my now winning fact. Oh, hello. Yeah. So you're familiar with higher or lower?、Uh, yes, sort of. Well, yes. Let's say is, yes. This is faster or slower? The beaver swimming edition. Okay, I'm ready. So we know that beavers can swim at five miles an hour. We do. We discuss that heavily. Yeah. And so that's about eight kilometers an hour. So I've got three other animals, and we're going to go sequentially, and you've got to tell me whether they, you think that they are moving faster or slower than the previous one. So starting with the beaver. Yeah. Do you think? That an otter、mm. swims faster or slower than a beaver. I'm going to say faster because an otter is more streamlined than a beaver. Nice, you're correct. Just、Thank、a little、you. bit, but they're five or six miles an hour. They can. Oh, not too much.、Through. So they actually、okay. might beat Phelps. I think. Oh, that's a race I'd like to see. If we introduce that、yeah. into the nature versus Olympian swimming、mm. competition、mm. that we've got on the back burner. Yeah. Okay. So the next one. How about a grey squirrel? Now this isn't a grey squirrel running along the ground. I want to know their vertical speed、oh, up a tree. Okay. Well, is that faster or slower than an otter powering through the water? Oh, tricky. I feel like a grey squirrel is more of a sprinter. So I'm going to say faster. Yeah. Did you know they can climb a tree at twelve miles an hour? <gasps> That's vertical speed. Wow. That is bonkers. That, is. that blew my mind. That is very. That is really quite fast. It is. It's pretty impressive, isn't it?、Mm. And then back back to the river. Yeah. How about swans with their little webbed、Ooh. feet paddling beneath the surface? What speed do you reckon that they can reach on the water? Are they faster or slower than a, a squirrel chasing、yeah. a tree? As much as I'd like to say faster, I think I'm going to have to say slower. 
I feel like their yeah, endurance, but- I feel like swans can kind of go at it for ages. I doubt a squirrel could maintain that speed for a long time. Mm. You're right. You want a marathon running swan, don't you? Whereas you want your, yeah. you want your squirrel on your team if you're in like a if you're in a race, yeah. a fast you race. Get away. Like that. Thanks very 1. much. Six miles an hour. Well, bonus points oh, oh. on a swan. Can you guess the swan's top speed on land? Because this also blew my mind. Oh wow! Now I'm picturing a very angry swan, wings outstretched, sort of yeah, patter pitter pattering, but possibly quite aggressively. Um, mm. Let's say. A hearty eight miles an hour. 22 miles an hour. <gasps> it's got no. its eye on your sandwich and it's focused. Apparently, oh, yes. Oh my God. Isn't that bonkers? Double digits. Yeah. That's incredible. Mad. That's like faster than we're meant to drive on my road. <laughs> that is that is a but great well done. fact. So I think that was three out of three. Uh, well done on the higher or lower the beaver swimming edition. Thank you. Thanks very well much. Done. Very good quiz. Well, I think that just about brings us to the end of this episode of The Lodgecast. Thanks very much, A, Sophie, for having me, and B, David Oakes, for joining us today. Um, I'm going to nip back to my normal role and go and edit this now. Um, And thank you to you, our lovely listeners. Thank you for downloading The Lodgecast. And while you're here, why don't you make sure that you've subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss any of our upcoming monthly episodes. And don't forget to leave us a nice review. It really does actually help us reach new audiences, helps us to grow the podcast so that we can talk about beavers with loads more people. And it means that we can also keep bringing you brilliant guests like David. Yeah, maybe share the podcast with a friend or two, or maybe even 10 who might be interested in beavers or nature restoration. And for more from us, because let's be honest, this is never enough, you need to head on over to our website, beavertrust.org, where we've got heaps of blogs and you can also sign up for our newsletter to have all sorts of exciting things straight into your inbox. Mm. And as always, you can find Beaver Trust on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram with the handle at Beaver Trust. See you next month. This podcast, as always, is a mixture of fact and opinion. It was produced and edited by the wonderful Emma Brisdian for Beaver Trust. 